So this is chapter four of the series we've been going through, um, spurred by the uh, hope that you get to hear the perspective of, of some of the guys speaking on, on this series we've gone through before and, and it being uh, two weeks removed from Pentecost and um, just kind of like the Lord's stirring. And uh, you can see that in usually the guys that are are speaking like it, it's funny because we don't get together very often and talk about what we're going to speak about and it's it's amazing and it's totally God's work that like he always coordinates it for us <laughs> and so you've got uh, Sam talking about worship and the and entering into the holy of holies and the importance of the Holy Spirit and Josiah talking about evangelism and the importance of the Holy Spirit and uh, so I just want to, before we get started, kind of preface this with, this is not a message, um, this is kind of the culmination of these four chapters, and so if you've missed the other chapters, um, especially listen today. But I'd like to, to say this is something that, this message is for everyone here today. You know, I... I had a discussion with Nathan Hager recently, and we were talking about how sometimes when you're preparing a message, it kind of leans towards uh, different people who might need to hear it. You know, maybe it's for more mature Christians or newer Christians or unbelievers or whatnot. But this really is, I think, like a message that is equally important to everyone here in this building today. And everyone who will listen to the podcast in the future or read uh, these outlines or uh, watch the video stream or whatever it is, this is equally important to everyone because it's, because God's equally important to everyone. Amen. <laughs> and this is, this is a message about how God wants to encounter us. Yes. How God bridges the gap between heaven and earth. So, it's for you, so listen closely, Okay. Um, also, if you're a believer, I want you to think um, there's going to be some things that are tough to work through today, and, and we need, are going to need to be very honest with ourselves. Okay, this is not a message that you take your pitchfork and, and throw it over yourself to the person behind you and say, it's, I'm glad they're here today. Um, you need to be glad you're here today. Okay, you should be glad you weren't late. You should be glad you're visiting. Um, you should be glad that you stuck with us so long. Um, and you should be honest with yourself about what we're going to talk about today. So I want you to think like, do I really want more of God? And the answer should be yes, because that's life. So do I want more life? And if the answer is yes, then bear with me. And as John Gray says, uh, don't be mad with me, this is just scripture, okay? <laughs> All right, so um, before we get started, let's, let's pray and ask for these things. Lord, you are almighty, you are the source of life, you are a deep well that we can always draw upon. We come humbly and ask you that you would help us to search our hearts honestly Give us answers to how we can get more of you, Lord. Help your word to be sharp and effective. 
Help your words not to return to you void, Lord. Do these works for your glory. Thank you, God. Amen. So, a little bit of review. Chapter 1. Um, we talked about who God is. and I, that's, These are my brief uh, titles for how you can kind of sum them up. Um, who God is, specifically who the Godhead and the Holy Spirit is. Um, and how, what his ministry is, what his personhood looks like, and how he relates to you. Um, was a lot of chapter one. So if you don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, never heard of the name, uh, go back and listen to that message. Chapter 2 is, was a lot about remembering. Um, it was a lot about examples of why, and looking through scriptures and searching out, like why it's God's intentions that we be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the works of his kingdom. Right? Because God, this is God's steadfast. And this has been his plan for all of eternity. Since in the beginning, that's it. This was there. This was before in the beginning. It was God's intention to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, go listen to that chapter 2a and 2b done by Nathan Hager. Chapter 3, what the promise is, I think uh, John Gray did an excellent job explaining this to us and bringing it out of scripture and uh, like this is who cares what a promise is like if you get a promise or not unless you know what the promise is right like uh, maybe if you're a kid you're like I got something in my hand and, and they have no idea what it is they get excited about it but when you get older you know that surprises aren't always good but this is a good one this is a good promise this is a good thing that you should want and uh, we'll get more into that. So who the promise is important for, again, I said, like, everyone here benefits from this promise, but specifically this, the fullness of this promise is for God's children. And, and that's a simple answer, but we're going to get into depth of, like, why it's important we know who we are to God. And then finally, like I said, we're going to search our hearts. What hindrances are standing between this wonderful promise of God. And again, I, this isn't just a promise from God. When I say promise of God, I'm not just meaning promise from God. I mean, literally the promise is God himself. Okay. And so what is standing between us or hindering us? What weights do we have to lay aside or cast off? What walls need to be broken down? For us to experience more of God. Because like I said before, God is, is the source of life. And if you feel, we all have experiences of experiencing death in this world. And, and life is a, a thing that we all innately, because God put it in us, we want life. He breathed life into us. We need to come back to this fountain. And Oftentimes there's things standing in the way, and so we need to search and see what's standing in the way and how do we overcome those things. How do those walls get broken down? So chapter one, again, who is God? God is steadfast. 
right? This means he's unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is important for today because that means, again, whatever he did in the past is something he wants to do now. This is super important. And this is a part of how we're going to battle some of these hindrances. Again, everything I'm going to... All these chapters work in concert together, okay? Um, It's important to know that he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like I said, this has been his... God's intention since before the beginning. He's relational. This is super important to us because we're relational, right? He's not some distant God um, that's removed from us. He's not some statue with eyes and ears that can't see and hear. He's, He's relational, which which means he's not only capable of being close to us and capable of, of emotion and, and connecting with us, but it, it means he literally like wants relation. Like the idea of relationship comes from him, so he wants to be close to us. That's also something that's going to battle some of these hindrances if we get that idea that God is relational and his intention is to be close to us. He doesn't... We see, we're going to look at this list of hindrances, these, these mounting walls that stand between us and God, and God is just as upset. Guarantee he's more upset about those hindrances than you are. He wants those walls down more than you do. He's not a God, a God of walls, okay? He breaks walls down. Look what happened to Jericho. Because Jericho was standing in the way between God's promise and his people. <laughs> and he's able. He's God. He's not some wimpy, um, ethereal idea or theoretical idea that actually in practice has no power or ability. God is God, which means he's totally and completely capable of being close to you and totally capable of breaking down any wall or hindrance that stands between you and his promises. So chapter two, remembering. God poured out his spirit on, his, on people before, right? Um, a point here I want to make is um, usually if you go through the, this history of it, who God poured his spirit out on was you know, priests or kings or prophets. Like People we go back and look at as like those special set-apart people who were like extra zealous for the Lord, right? Um, Usually like one person in a generation kind of thing. Like it wasn't like everyone got the Holy Spirit, right? And First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So like the Holy Spirit, it like in his new covenant is being poured out on all of his people. Not just, like, and it, 
when it means he's pouring it out on all his people, it's not to say that um, even the non-special people. The intention of this is to say that all his people are special people. All his people are priests. All his people are his special possession, his chosen people. It's not a watering down. He didn't have to lower the standards of him, who he wants to pour down his Holy Spirit on so that it could reach all of his people. He raised our standing and position with the Lord. So it's not a putting down, it's a raising up. And that's another really important thing we need to get through and past. The church is not filled with, with people who are a little bit more special or righteous or zealous for the Lord and like, you know, this is a pastor or some deacon or elder or something special. No, like we're all called and God's raised our, he wants us to understand the fullness of the value he sees in us. That's why it's important to remember. So chapter three, and this is like, I want you to read this list. I want you to write this list down for sure. If you write nothing else down, write down this list. And say, is this something I want? Okay, because this is what is going to happen when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to ask yourself, is this something I want? And if you don't want it, God's not going to force himself on you. Right? Being overcome by God is not like being overcome in in a general sense. I think some of the times we we get a, a connotation with being overcome as like a frightening or terrifying thing. And in some cases that is, right? So when I'm thinking about this like you know, I think about my wife and I think if like some strange, creepy guy came up to her and like chased her down and put his arm around her, she'd be terrified and rightly so. She was overcome by a strange, creepy guy. But if I ran up to her and threw my arms around her, it's a, she was overcome by me but it's a totally different situation. It's a comforting thing for her. It's the safest place she can be in her mind, right? And that's what being overcome by God is. It's being embraced by him. It's not some creepy, strange God that's far removed, that's unrelational, that doesn't love us and doesn't care about us. This is God who's come to protect us and love on us. And he knows you before you even knew yourself. And that's who's overcoming you. So if you want these things, he will overcome you with these things. If you think God's strange and creepy and you want him at a distance, if Christiana thought that about me, I would not overcome her. I would not chase her down and hug her. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing that to people who, who don't know me, right? I would th- immediately become the strange, creepy guy, and I don't want to be that. So God's not, like, overcoming just anyone. He's overcoming people who want to be overcome. 
So you need to look at this list and be honest with yourself. Hopefully you're writing it down. Are these things I want in my life? Because this is the starting point of whether you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit or not. If you don't want it, you're not going to get it. But if you want it, God will make a way. Testing. So off to a good start. I definitely want that. Brokenness. Um, And this is another point I want to make here is this is for everyone here today. So if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I think we kind of brush over like this first filling of the Holy Spirit. And then it's like we leave people abandoned and say, okay, you're good. You've, You've done it once. That's fine. You need this all the time. You need it over and over again. You need it. Our day, this is our daily bread. <laughs> and you're called to witness whether you're, you know, if you're a Christian, you're called to witness whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not. So hopefully you'd want to be filled with boldness to do it, <laughs> right? Because otherwise it's going to be really tough to witness. It's going to bring a testing miracles. We were just watching The Chosen Season 2 last night, crying a lot. And uh, like these, there were, Christ's ministry was full of these miracles that were, were not just for show. It caused people who were bitter in their hearts to listen. The thing that always followed the miracles were these people listening to Jesus teach. And that's what this is all about. That's something we need. We need attesting miracles. We need God to put his, his stamp of approval on our message. And how often do we say we want more zeal for the Lord? Well, you need more of the Lord if you want more zeal for the Lord. And I don't want to come to church unless I'm going to sense God's manifest presence, unless it's real for me. There's not really a point. There's, there's a reason there's a difference between being here in person and watching on a live stream. Right? It's a manifest presence, and that's wonderful. It's it's something that I've sensed from a very young age, and let me tell you, you want more of it, trust me. If you haven't sensed God's presence, and you'll know it when you sense it. <laughs> you want more. And of course, we're always striving towards more personal and corporate holiness, but that's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Right? I think Sam mentioned today something about licentiousness and how like, the law, if you've got the law without the Holy Spirit empowering you, it just leads to like giving up and saying, this is too difficult for me. I give up. Altogether. Yes. Why try to be holy if we'll never be holy? So, again, who the promise is important for? All believers. And I'm going to list some synonyms here because I think that gives more breadth to, to a word. So what does this mean? Who's, who's the, Holy, 
the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for? All believers, right? So, all believers can mean all who have been called by the name of Christ. It means God's children. It means God's people. It's his flock. It's the ones he loves, right? This isn't for people that he doesn't love, (laughs) right? This is not some, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't a requirement. It's a gift of his love. It's a showing of his, of your standing with him, right? I don't give Christiana gifts because um, it's just what a husband does. I give it because I love her. And I want her to know that. Right? We didn't celebrate uh, Stephen's bachelor party cookout thing all together uh, just because we like cookouts and slip and sides or whatever. We did it because we love Stephen and we wanted to show him that we love him. Amen. But we do love slip and sides. That's right, Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wonderful. You, you get, when you get the Holy Spirit, you get God and all the great things that come with God. Amen. Right? <laughs> so, Luke 11, 9 through 13. And if this isn't a verse that like grips you, um, I suggest going home and reading this like 10 or 15 or 100 times or something. Read it a lot. Read it often. Because this is, these are the types of verses that help you do what Sam was saying earlier, which is set your mind. Right? This is a kind of thing that if you... I heard this once before, and sorry I'm giving so many examples of my wife, but she's just who I spend most of my time with. So, uh, I heard once about a, a difference between men and women, kind of as advice going into marriage, like, make sure you tell your wife you love her every day. Because there's some guys who think, you know, I've told her once, I don't change my mind. I'm steadfast, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which is how most men think. I'm never changing. (laughs) I told her I loved her once, that should be good enough for her. Um, If I change my mind, I'll tell her. Like, (laughs) but that's, Foolishness that won't do, that won't get you very far. That's not a good way to look at things. I grew up in a household where my dad told my mom he loved her every day. Um, he would, she worked night shifts, so, and he would wake up early to go to work, so they kind of missed each other in the morning. She'd work till like eight, and he left for work at like five or something like that. But he always called her when he left for work, and all the ladies in her office knew, Greg's calling, it's that time, he's gonna tell her he loves her. And we need repeated, we are forgetful, self-conscious, fickle people who need God to tell us he loves us time and time again, and he tells us that in these words. 
And if you need to hear it again, read Luke 11, 9 through 13. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So again, this is something you need to want, that you should be seeking for. If, if this is something you want and you're seeking for, all the hindrances shouldn't matter. All the things standing between you and that way shouldn't matter. You should be ready to get rid of them and lay them aside to say, what is the cost, Lord? I'm ready to give it up if it means being close to you. I don't care if, if it goes against my traditional beliefs or if it makes me feel a little weird or uh, if it requires more commitment to you, God, or it requires me to give up my lifestyle um, and make you more Lord. Those are easy things to lay aside. Those are scorpions. Those are serpents to us. Things we can lay aside in exchange for good things. So next I want to look at two passages here and kind of get, this is a long way around getting to a very specific point, but bear with me. So we're going to look at Acts 2, 1 through 3, and Luke 3, 16, and verses 21 through 22. Um, we'll just get into it. How about that? So go to that, uh, the second slide of the verses. They should, they should be highlighted. So these are parallel verses, and I'll get to why it's important that they're parallel. Again, Luke and Acts were both written by... Luke. Acts? No, Luke. <laughs> and so he wrote them very similarly, and uh, some theologians, smart people, at some point noticed, like, oh, he wrote these, like, this is the Acts of God... Luke, and this is the Acts of his church, Acts. And so these are, are parallel stories of, of God and us following his example right along parallel to him. So in Acts, we see they were all, gathered, they were all together in one place. What were they doing together in one place? Praying and worshiping and, and seeking God, right? They were knocking. They were seeking they were asking for something that God had promised them. They were all together in one place. So Luke 3 is the account of Jesus being baptized by John the baptizer. And it says, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, right? So he's with all these people together. What are they doing? They're praying. They're, they're seeking God. Right? They're, 
knocking. Lord, what is your answer going to be? So further down we see, and suddenly there came from from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And the other way you can say this is heaven, the heavens were opened, right? It's a dramatic thing when the heavens are opened. The earth quakes when the heavens are opened. Mountains tremble. The sky thunders. So this is what they're experiencing. They're experiencing a similar thing to what Christ experienced when he was baptized. After seeking the Lord. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. And then it says, this is earlier, you go back to what John was saying, John the baptizer, preparing the way for Christ, said about Christ. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, guess what's happening? Are they baptized with, what are they baptized with? Water? Did it rain water? Did water descend on the apostles and the 120 in the upper room on Pentecost? No, it was fire, right? All right, going further. And rested on each one of them, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the bodily form like a dove. So we finally come to the end of this parallel passage, and it seems like the parallel ends here, right? And a voice came from heaven speaking about Christ and said, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now if God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, and he's, we're seeing this parallel, these parallel verses follow each other, right? But then it stops here. Do we say that Jesus was just so different, that God only really loved Jesus um, and we forget about the people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and say, God didn't really love them all that much. That's why it's left out. What do we do when something's missing in a parallel verse? We assume it's there, <laughs> right? We, they knew uh, this part of, of the account of, God, or of Christ being baptized is the, the one thing that is, one of the things that is the same across all three synoptic gospels. Okay? There were disciples that were there. They wrote this down. And I guarantee everyone, this is the start of Christ's ministry. This is the start where, um, in the disciples' mind, where their lives began. <laughs> right? Um. Something like, I don't know, like the first question you ask someone who's about to get married or something is like, how'd you guys meet, right? How'd this all start? That's always a question, whether you're there or not. You want to hear the account of it. Where'd it begin? Well, this is where it began. And so all the disciples knew this. And they're in the upper room, and these things are happening. And they're like, hold on. Um, we're all together seeking the Lord. Heavens are opened. Fire descends on us. 
What else? It was an, to them, it was confirmation. God saying, you are my beloved sons in whom I'm well pleased. We don't leave that part out. They, they know that it means more. They know that the first holds the many, right? That, it, that the first 10% means the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. That what Christ said on the cross, like, didn't just mean what he said. It meant, like, the rest of the chapter of where he, what he quoted, Right? So being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, is a confirmation, is God saying it's an anointing. It's God saying, you are my sons and daughters with whom I am well pleased. That's God's intention. Was Christ that before, he was, before the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove? Was he God's beloved son and whom he was well pleased? Yes. Right? This was just a sign, a symbol. Right? And that's like, that is a sign and symbol that's on the table for you if you haven't experienced it before. And it's a sign and symbol that we can hear over and over again. We can hear our dad say, I'm proud of you, over and over again. That's a big deal. God's not a God that like withholds his, his boasting in us. He's not a dad who's like, well, if you had got first place, I would say I'm proud of you, but you didn't, so. Sorry, champ. He wants to lavish us with his boasts. He wants, us, he wants to tell us he loves us every day. And not just tell us he loves us, he backs it up with, with real manifest things with a real sense of his love for us what good is an I love you if you never get a hug (laughs) right what good is an I love you if they're never there for you well God's love for us is always backed up with manifest signs and symbols and this is what God thinks about us he loves us and he's pleased with us in the same way that he's he loves Christ and is pleased with him. You've got to lay hold of that. You've got to get past the whole like self-deprecation, how could I ever be loved by God? You've got to get past the whole, I don't care if I'm loved by God. His opinion's not that big of a deal. His opinion's a big deal. If the heavens have to be opened for his opinion to get to you, it's a big deal. When was the last time the heavens were opened for your opinion? When was the last time you said anything that caused the earth to shake? Or made someone tremble and fall on their knees? His opinion matters. You should care what he has to say about you. And what he has to say about you is that he loves you and he's pleased with you. And, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't a, now I love you and I'm pleased with you. It's a, it's a reiteration. It's a sign that he's always loved you and always been pleased with you. 
Even while you were still in your sin, he loved you and was pleased with you. Even now as you sit in the pews with doubts, unbelief, unforgiveness, bitterness, living a double life, he sees you and he loves you. So we come up to this, this wall that seems to be standing between us and this um, sign or symbol of God's love, these hindrances. You know, and, and sometimes I see this and I think we can see this list of, of common hindrances and uh, we think you can only have one, but the truth is, is like they just build on each other and you can range anywhere from uh, I only have a little bit of an incomplete conversion to I have all five of these to the max. Okay? And another, another aspect or another thing you need to get about this too is that um, these are not just hindrances for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I said the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just getting more of God, Right? So if it's a hindrance for that, it's a hindrance for anything else, any other area you're trying to get more of God in. Okay, so these apply across the board. These are common hindrances, not just to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're common hindrances to you getting to God. Or for God getting to you, let's say. Yeah, growth and grace. These are in your way. When uh, Hebrews, in Hebrews you read, like, lay aside Every hindrance, these are those things. These can, the, the extra stuff, the things that are your baggage, the things that are weighing you down, the things, the serpents and scorpions you like holding on to instead of the, the fish and eggs that God's offering you. You know, Sam said today, um, God asks for all of yourself, all of you. He asks for your whole being. Your, he asks for your thoughts, your emotions, your, you know, what you spend your money on, where you live, who you hang out with, what your interests are. There's things that sometimes I think I'd be interested in, in taking that up as a hobby, and then I think, oh, that's totally counterproductive to what God's called me to. I'm no longer interested in it. <laughs> He's asking for all of you, and uh, that seems like a super great price. Because I think even to like, he's asking for your identity, right? Some of us hold on to our identities so much, like, um, like a sports fan, like, I'm, I don't know, who are people fans of? Uh, not the Browns. <laughs> I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm going to paint my mailbox scarlet and gray, and my dog's name's going to be Brutus. Like, uh, that's who I am. I'm an Ohio State fan, and God's saying, like, mm, give that identity to me. Right. And so he's asking for everything about you, even your identity, your heritage, like, 
saying like, I'm half this and half that and a quarter, and then eventually you realize like you're actually more than one whole person because you've got so many fractions of your heritage and like you hold so deeply to your roots, right? Well, there's no male, female, master, servant, you know, nationality, like there's none of that dividing line in God's eyes. He wants that identity and he wants to give you all of himself. He wants to give you his identity. He wants to give you his thoughts. He wants to give you his emotions. He wants to give you his spirit. And so these things are in the way. And so seriously consider them. Incomplete conversion. This is something like where you haven't totally given your life to God. You haven't repented over sins. You haven't sold out for him. This is like you can still be, you can be coming to church, genuinely like experiencing conversion, experiencing God drawing on your heart, but saying, I'm going to continue to um, live a life of like, drugs or anger. I'm going to continue beating people up. I'm going to continue to be a drunk. I'm going to continue this because I want God, but I don't want all of him. This is an incomplete conversion. This is, I'll make it to one Sunday a month. Okay? This is, uh, I read a couple Bible verses once and I think that's good enough. It's not. If God's drawing on your heart, Go in full. Go in fully. Don't stand on a fence. Don't half do something. Whole do this. Okay? Then this is something in your outline called the Charlie Brown's uh, principle, but I think it's getting to a point where we're in a generation where people don't know what Charlie Brown is (laughs) anymore. So this is an obsession with your shortcomings and a low view of your value. Okay, this is, there's actually like a diagnosis that some psychologist has given Charlie Brown, and uh, it's basically this. He can't, he's not capable of doing better, right? He's obsessed with that idea. He's obsessed with, um, I'm no good. I don't deserve anything good, right? How many Christians stand in the pews and say, I am not good enough to enter God's presence. Why should, I shouldn't be in worship right now. God wouldn't want me in his courts. But he does. We just talked about how much he loves you. Despite your sin. And we get to cult involvement. Which is, you know, it can be broadly said that it's, it's having a foot in two camps. It's making Lord of, of something else, right? You can't serve the devil and serve God. You can't be doing seances or trying to manipulate people, control their thoughts and, and what they do and try and serve God at the same time. You have to pick a side, and I suggest you pick God's side because he wins. Unforgiveness, this is a huge one, and it's always trying to peek its head out. A spirit of unbelief, that's another thing. If you're standing in the, or sitting in the pews right now and you're like, I, I don't know if this is real, you know, these outlines are full of scripture, 
And God is real, and he definitely wants to be close to you, and you, you should want more of him. And so if you want more of him, it shouldn't matter whether you believe this is the way to get more of him or not. <laughs> right? There's, this is not, we're not coming up with some wacky thing. This is not a new idea. This is a thing that's been in the church since its conception, since Pentecost. And it's in scripture. And it's in church history. Go search it out. And that shouldn't get in your way. So how do we overcome these things? We overcome them with the gospel. We overcome them with truth, with God's truth. How do you overcome a lie with truth? And so I, you know, we're running out of time. Actually, we ran out of time. Um, the time has come and passed us. So read these verses for yourselves. I'd suggest go through each one of these and say, is this me? Think about it. And then read, how do I overcome it? What is the truth that overcomes this? Is this me? Am I not fully converted? Do I have too low of a view of myself that doesn't match up with God's view of myself? Am I obeying a different king than God? Do I have unforgiveness, bitterness? Do I truly believe that this is for me and for today? And chances are there's a little bit of this in all of us. So be honest with yourselves and cry out to God. Yeah. Solid and mature yeah. And know you to also be right. There's a, a Diedrich Bonhoeffer quote that I keep saying that wrongly, uh, but it's close enough where he says, like, your heart can deceive you, but it can't deceive your brothers. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, under our communion meditation, in Acts 2, Joel 2, verse 28 is quoted and it says, after this is what, the, what Peter sees all of this happening. We just read about the uh, spirit descending on them and resting on them like f- a flame and the rushing wind and all this is going on and the, they ha- they're speaking in tongues and, and Peter says, oh, I've seen this before. This is the promise that Christ told us to expect Joel 2, verse 28, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on some people. The extra righteous people. The prophets and kings. All people. All his people. Those he loves, he'll pour out his spirit on. So leading up to that, um, Joel starts with a judgment. And then it says, God was steadfast and merciful and decided to give them a blessing. And he said to his people, Behold, I will send you grain, new wine, and oil. And by them you will be satisfied. I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. 
So when we come up to this, this table, oftentimes we only see it mentioned about the grain and the wine. The, there's a debate out there on what it means that Christ is present in this meal. And I think one thing that every, every Christian, Orthodox Christian can agree is he's present in the meal through the Holy Spirit. Which we've seen as the example of oil. So when we come up to this table, we're not just eating um, you know, this bread and we're not just drinking this wine. We are encountering God's anointed manifest presence through his Holy Spirit. And we're doing that together. So if you're wondering what being baptized in the Holy Spirit's like, it's a lot like communion. <laughs> and in fact, you should try communion after you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. So please come and, and partake.